this series, we're learning how to study God's Word using the acronym SOAP. Last week, we learned about the S, which stands for Scripture. Today, we're looking at the O and the A, observation and application. God wants to show you wonderful things in His Word. Your role is to take time and look carefully. God's role is to open the eyes of your heart. Everybody, every time I hear that music, I expect to see about 12 clowns climb out of a Prius, <laughs> but it, uh, it never happens. So, hey, uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to sit down and preach this morning. I, some of you know that I have a bum back, and every once in a while, it reminds me that I am not invincible, and uh, so this is one of those mornings. So just to, uh, to maybe cut off a couple of the most frequently asked questions I get, yes, I do have a good chiropractor, and no, I do not want you to try something, okay? <laughs> Uh, I'll be fine. I do want to say, though, I'm on some pretty heavy medication this morning, and so if I say something good, it's from the Lord. If I say something that doesn't make any sense at all, that's the meds, okay? But I'm excited about where we're, where we're going today. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about, because for the last four weeks, as Paul said, we've been in this series called Eat the Scroll, and we've been talking about the importance of taking in the Word of God. And as a church, we're in the middle of a 40-day study of the Word of God together. And if you've been a, a part of this since the beginning, I hope you've kept up with those readings. I hope that you're seeing some fruit come from that. But if you're new with us this morning and you're thinking, man, I wish I would have been here from the very beginning, I want to tell you it's not too late. You can, uh, you can grab a reading plan out at the Info Hub or you can find it on the Genesis Church app and jump in with us. We're on day 28. Don't try and catch up. Just jump right in on day 28 with us. And then when you get to day 40, you can go back to day one and, and catch up on those verses that you missed at that point. Because the whole point of this isn't that we would get to day 40 and then we would just put our Bibles down and, and say, well, we're done. But rather that this would become a habit in our lives of feeding ourselves on the word of God. Now, there are a lot of different approaches to studying God's word. And we've been using what's called the SOAP method. And SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, application, and prayer. Those are the four things that we're encouraging you to do every time you approach God's word. It starts with scripture. And why do we turn to the scripture? Well, well, because we believe that it is literally God's words to us. And it has the power to change hearts and it has the power to change lives. And it gives us wisdom and it gives us guidance and it gives us direction. And in a anything goes kind of a world, the word of God gives us an anchor of absolute truth. And so we turn to it. And you'll remember in week two, if you were here, Kevin urged us to stop simply reading God's word. We're not commanded anywhere in scripture to simply read the word of God. We're commanded to meditate on it. We're commanded to take it in, to think about it, to meditate on it throughout our day and to pray over it. We go back to it and, uh, and we allow it to transform us. That's really different than just reading words on a page, isn't it? That's not what we're after here. We want to meditate on God's word. And then last week, Paul walked us through uh, the different parts of scripture. He showed us how each part is unique and yet how they're all interconnected. And uh, he did a great job of taking us through a survey of the entire New Testament in just 30 minutes. That guy's a machine, isn't he? Uh, and what I hope you heard clearly from that message is that it's all about Jesus. 
every word of the Old Testament and the New, it all points to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to move, uh, we're going to move on to the next two words in the SOAP acronym. We're going to look at observation and application. And I'm going to give you some tools to help you see what God wants you to see. Now, the secret to seeing what God wants you to see is simply learning to ask the right questions. And it's really interesting how there are passages of scripture that I've heard and read my entire life. And yet every time I go back to them, I seem to learn something new. I find some new truth for my life. And the reason is that the word of God is living and it's active and it always has something new to teach us. And if you learn the, the practice, learn to practice the principles of observation and application, you will see things you never saw before and you'll be challenged to apply them in some new and fresh ways. So there are three key questions uh, that I want you to ask every time you open up the word of God. If you got a notes page, these are, are on there. You can write this first one down. The first question is this, what does it say? What does it say? In order to study God's word, you've got to read God's word. And you're thinking, but Kevin told me not to read God's word. And I would say, no, the point Kevin made was that we need to stop simply reading God's word. We don't just read it and then walk away. But it begins by opening up the book and by reading. So you ask the question, what does it say? And, and you write down a few things that stick out to you. Or if it's a short passage, maybe you, you write the entire passage out. This morning, I thought it might be beneficial not just to give you these questions, but to, to walk through a passage together and to put this into practice. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some under the seats around you. Uh, this, this passage is on page 757 of the Bibles that are under the seats around you. But let's try reading this text and, uh, and then answering the question, what does it say? We're going to start in verse 15. And it says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So as you read that passage, I would guess that, that immediately there are some things that you observed. I, I noticed and, and would take note of the fact that Jesus is asking Peter a question. And he asks it three different times. Do you love me? And so Jesus asking that three different times kind of gives us a clue that there's some point there that Jesus is trying to get across. And I, I would also note that the first time Jesus asked the question, he says, do you love me more than these? And that's an interesting statement. That, I would write that down. I would jot that down on my paper. And what is Peter's response? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And I'd write that down. I'd write down Peter's response. I'd also note that Jesus isn't only looking for a verbal response because when Peter replies, then Jesus adds something else, doesn't he? He says, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And so I think that's key to this passage. I'd write that down. Those are the things just from initial observation that I would take note of. That's what it says. And then I'd move on to question number two. And question number two is this, what does it mean? 
So we've asked, what does it say? And now we're going to ask, what does it mean? And you might be thinking, doesn't the Bible mean what it says? Well, no, not always. Because as in every form of communication, whether written or verbal, we use things like analogies and we use things like metaphors and we use phrases that don't mean literally uh, what they say. For instance, if I sent you a text and I told you, hey, Paul told me something, but I found out he was just pulling my leg you would know that what Paul was doing was he was joking with me. He was, he was kidding around with me uh, because you understand that, that he wasn't being serious. But if someone from another culture who spoke a different language read that same text, they might think, you know, man, that's really weird. Apparently, Paul grabbed onto Ben's foot and just started yanking it. What a strange friendship those guys have. It's what I said, but it's not what I meant. And it's no different when it comes to scripture. Sometimes the Bible says exactly what it means. And sometimes it means something different than what it says. So how can you know? How do you know when the Bible means what it says and when it means something different? Well, I'm going to give you three C's this morning of biblical interpretation. And the first C is the word context. If I'm screaming in pain and I'm holding my thigh and I yell at you, pull my leg! It's the context that tells you, I don't want you to tell me a joke. I've got a Charlie horse and I literally want you to grab my foot and pull my leg and give me some relief. Now think about the passage that we just looked at. What can the context tell us? Jesus is asking Peter to feed his lambs and to take care of his sheep. And in that culture, it was very common for people to have sheep. So is Jesus asking Peter to literally take care of some livestock? We've got to look at the context to know the, the answer to that question. What do the, the verses around this verse tell us? Does, do they give us any clues? What's the chapter about where this verse is found? Can we learn anything from that? What about the book that this is found in? Those are all context questions. And we don't read anywhere in the surrounding verses or in chapter 21 or anywhere else in all of scripture that Jesus was literally raising a flock of sheep. But we can look at other places in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where we see that Jesus often referred to people as sheep. Passages like Matthew 9, 36 and Mark 6, 34. He wept over Jerusalem because he saw the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd. So in John 21, when Jesus says, feed my sheep, we can know that he's not calling Peter to take care of animals. He's calling him to ministry. Take care of my people. Feed my people. That's what we can see by looking at the first C, context. Now, the second C stands for clarify. Clarify. Are there any words in the text that might have different meanings? And what does it mean here? We need to clarify that. So let me illustrate this. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to remember the first thing that comes into your mind when I say this word, okay? Just grab onto the very first thing when I say the word, pen. You got it? Okay, what came into your mind? Tell me, tell me some of the things that came to your mind when I say pen. Yeah. What was it? Yeah. Pig. Pig pen. Yeah, place for keeping animals. What else? Paper. Paper. Writing utensil, right? Anybody else? Fast. What was that one? Fast. Yep, a fastener. Is that what you said? Yeah, like for sewing, a sewing pen, right? So there's a, a whole bunch of different variations of this word. We could be talking about bowling. We could be talking about baking. We could be talking about writing. Now, if I had, had given you the spelling... P-I-N, the context there would tell you that I'm not talking about a writing utensil. I'm not talking about a place to keep pigs, 
But even when you know the spelling, do you know that there are over 60 usages for the word P-I-N, pen? That word can mean a lot of different things, can't it? Now listen, the Bible was written in over 11,000 Hebrew and Greek words. Okay, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. 11,000 Hebrew and Greek words. But in English, the, the English translation of those texts, any translation that you use is going to fall at about 8,000 English words. So we've lost about 3,000 words in the translation from Hebrew and Greek into English. And so this is a clue as to why there are so many different translations of the Bible. If you've ever wondered, that's why. But let me give you an example from, uh, from John 21. In English, we only have one word for the word love, okay? It's the word love. That's all we've got. And so we use it to refer to a lot of different things. I say, I love my wife. I love bratwurst. I love hunting. Uh, Jesus loves me. I've just used that same word to mean a lot of different things, right? Because you understand that bratwurst and my wife are on two very different planes, right? <laughs> to talk about my love of hunting and that Jesus loves me, those two things aren't even close to the same thing. But we use the same word in English because it's the only word that we have. Well, Greek is so much more precise than that. In Greek, there are three words for that word love. There's first the word eros, and it's the root of the English word erotic. It's romantic love. There's a physical element to eros love. And then there's phileo, which means brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? And my phileo love for my friend Paul is different than my eros love for my wife, Beth Ann. And then in Greek, there's also the word agape. And agape is unconditional love. It's self-sacrificing love. It's the love that we see Jesus pouring out on the cross. So anytime that you see the word love in scripture, you've got to ask, what kind of love is it? Is it romantic love? Is it brotherly love? Is it self-sacrificing love? And you might be saying, well, that's great, but I don't speak Hebrew. I don't speak Greek. How am I supposed to know which one of those words that it is? Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I don't speak those languages either, okay? I took those classes in college, and I wasn't exactly what you would call best in class. Uh, I didn't do real great on biblical languages. But I want to share with you this morning a resource that I think is going to greatly help you in your study of God's Word. And it's on your notes page. It's a website called blueletterbible.org. Something very interesting is going on in this John 21 passage that you cannot see simply by looking at the English translation. So I want to show you on blueletterbible.org what I would do with this passage. So Judy, I'm going to try and take control of the prayer presenter here so I can walk us through this. And... We've never done this before, and I'm not great on technology, so bear with me for a second. When you go to blueletterbible.org, hey, it worked. Uh, this is what's going to come up, okay? In the upper right-hand corner of the screen there, you're going to see where it says, search the Bible. You can type in uh, a verse, if you know the specific verse you're looking for, and then there's a drop-down menu there where you can tell it what version of the Bible that you want to look at. So if we were to type in John 21, and I've got the ESV typed in there, it's just what I usually study from, and then we uh, hit the arrow next to it, this is what's going to come up on Blue Letter Bible. It's going to break it apart verse by verse, okay? So this is what we just read. But no Notice on the side of each one of those verses, do you see the tab that says tools? Well, when you click that, 
a drop down is going to open up and we're cut off a little bit at the top. But the first tab on that, that top there, it says interlinear. Now hang with me because this is where it gets really good. If you're not familiar, an interlinear gives you the English translation. On Blue Letter Bible, it's always going to give you the NASB translation. But then on the right-hand side of the screen, you're going to see what Greek word that English word was taken from. Make sense? So you can look and see that when it says the word so, go to the right-hand side, that's the word uon, I think. Again, I wasn't the greatest. Uh, but let's try, let's try reading through this, and let's specifically look for that word love. So as we read down the left-hand side, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now cut across where I've got it highlighted. What word is it? You see it there? Agapeo. Do you unconditionally, self-sacrificially love me? Now let's look at Peter's response. It says, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now go across. What word is it? Phileo. Peter changes the word. Jesus says, do you unconditionally, self-sacrificially love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I brotherly love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Next slide, watch this. Oop, can I get it? Yep. Okay, verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What word? Agapeo. Do you self-sacrificially love me? So Jesus asked him again, and Peter replies. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love phileo you. He changes it again. Do you self-sacrificially love me? Lord, I phileo you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look, now Jesus changes the word. Do you phileo me? Do you brotherly love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So you see what's going on here. Jesus has asked a question three times, but it's a, a very different question, isn't it? That third time than the first two times that he asked the question. And if all you do is just read the English translation, you'd never see that going on here. You'd never see uh, that, that the word is being changed and that they're actually asking and replying with two completely different things. Now, why is it that Peter hears one word and then uses another and then Jesus ultimately changes the question the third time. Well, to answer that question, we're going to move on to the next C, which is cross-reference. If you're taking notes, write cross-reference. Cross-referencing is when you look at another text or a different part of the same text to help make sense and bring clarity to the meaning of the text that you're studying. So I want you to look at what has taken place just a few chapters before this John 21 interaction. In John 13, before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples that he was going away. And I want you to see the interaction that he has with Peter there. So John 13, starting in verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. 
And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Now, this is not the word agapeo, but it is the same sentiment, self-sacrificial. I'm gonna lay my life down for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, if you fast forward to John chapter 18, you'll see that Jesus knew what he was talking about. When Jesus is arrested, we read in John 18, three specific times that people came to Peter and they said, aren't you one of his disciples? And every time Peter says, I don't know him. I never knew him. It's not me. And the third time that he says it, immediately a rooster begins to crow. In John 13, Peter said, I'll die for you. Five chapters later, he couldn't live up to what he had said. So now in our verse, John 21, when Jesus asks him again, do you agape me? Will you really lay your life down for me? Peter is not so quick to answer yes. He knows he has committed to it once before and he was not able to follow through. So Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter's response, all he can say is, I phileo you. And I don't picture this interaction with Jesus being harsh. I don't picture it being Jesus, you know, rubbing it in Peter's face or even scolding him for messing up. But he is saying, Peter, you messed up. I know you messed up. I knew you were going to mess up before you messed up, but you're not out of the game. I still have plans for you. Because in John 21, when Jesus finds Peter, Peter has gone back to his old job of fishing. And he has fished all night long and he has caught absolutely nothing. And Jesus from the shore yells out and he says, hey, throw your net on the other side. The men, they do it and they catch so many fish, they don't know what to do about it. And so they recognize it's Jesus, they come to shore. And listen, when Jesus says the first time, Peter, do you love me more than these? I picture Jesus pointing right at that pile of fish and he's asking Peter, are you gonna do this or are you gonna follow me? Are you gonna go back to fishing or will you feed my sheep? Do you love me? Jesus is calling Peter back into ministry after a major failure. And as we cross-reference, then we can also jump ahead to Acts chapter four where we find that Peter, he answered that call. He walked away from fishing. He steps back into ministry and he's been arrested now for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And now he and John stand on trial before the Sanhedrin, a group of very powerful men who want him to stop talking about Jesus. And look at the reply in Acts 4.19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And we see that by the time that we get to Acts chapter four, Peter has moved from just this phileo love of Jesus to agape. I don't care what you do to me. You can't make me shut up. You're gonna have to kill me to get me to stop talking about Jesus. That's the kind of love that he has moved into. And do you know that's exactly what happened in Peter's life? Sometime during the reign of King Nero, around AD 65, it's believed that Peter was martyred for his faith and for his ministry. This Peter who talked so big and then fell so hard and who Jesus called back into ministry in John 21, he became a pillar of the Christian faith. That's what the context 
and the clarifying of words and the cross-referencing of scripture can show us. When we ask the question, what does it mean? We can see all of these things in scripture, but without digging deep, you never know that all of that is going on. That's why this is so important. But there's still one more step and there's one more question to be answered. It's on your notes and it moves us into application. And the question is this, what will I do about it? What will I do about it? James 1.22 tells us that we are not merely to be hearers of the word. We are to be doers of the word. And God's word is very clear that when all we do is just gather more and more information, more and more knowledge, that knowledge puffs up. It makes us prideful and we become ineffective and unproductive in our faith. So we have to do something about it. Now, sometimes the application of scripture is just painfully clear. Scriptures like uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, it says, stop sinning. Okay, the application of 1 Corinthians 15, 34 is stop sinning, all right? You don't have to rack your brain about it. You don't have to look at it. Man, I just don't know what this passage is asking me to do. It's so confusing. Are you sinning? Stop it. That's the application, but sometimes it's not that clear. And what do you do when the application isn't clear? Oftentimes when I'm praying for my wife, I'll pray Ephesians 5.25. God help me to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. And then I'll pray something like this. Would you open my eyes to see a couple of opportunities in my day today to do just that? And you know, it's amazing. God is always faithful to just make me aware of something that otherwise I might've walked right past, an opportunity to serve my, my wife, to, to lay my life down for her, to love her, to, to care for her, whatever that might be. So when the application is clear, do it. When the application isn't clear, ask God to show you and then be faithful to take that step when you see it in your day. As we think about this passage that we've been studying this morning in John 21, I can't help but think uh, when, when it comes to the application that maybe there are some of you here this morning who are running a good race. You are experiencing the love of God. You are loving him in return. You, you knew that you were within his will. You were achieving his plan for your life. But something happened. You know, you messed up. Some, some sin in your life. And it set you back. And just like Peter, maybe some of you have become cautious to tell the Lord that you love him because it just feels like a lie. And Satan is reminding you of your failure. He's wanting you to believe that you are a failure. And how could God possibly forgive you? How could you possibly feel worthy of his love again? And so you aren't finding your identity in Christ anymore and you aren't pursuing his plan or his will for your life. But I think Jesus' words to Peter are very similar to the words that he would say to you. Knowing full well that you messed up and knowing every detail about your sin, he says to you, I'm not done with you. I have grace for you. I have forgiven you and I died for you. I want you to live for me. Get back in the game. I want you to feed my sheep. But it begins by feeding yourself on God's word. That's where it starts. And if you do that, if you start feeding yourself on the word of God, you will be reminded that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. 
That's Romans chapter 8. That you were bought with a price. That's 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. That you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That you are a child of the king. Galatians 3.26. And that your life is now hidden in Christ. Colossians 3. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Listen to what God's word says. It's time to eat the scroll, to embrace truth, and get back on track with God's plan and his will for your life. And there may be some of you here this morning who, who have never surrendered your life to Christ, and, and you kind of look back in the rearview mirror and you think there is no way that God could love somebody like me, not after what I've done, not after the way that I've lived. And I want you to know this morning, that is a lie from the enemy. That is an absolute lie. Start reading the love letter that God wrote to you. Let his truth permeate your life. Join with us in eating the scroll because God loves you. That's what you're gonna find out when you, when you study, when you ask, what does it say? What does it mean? And how will I apply it? God loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants you to live for him. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, uh, I know I pray this a lot, but, uh, but it's so true. I, I'm thankful for your word. Lord, your revelation to us, the way that you have shown us uh, throughout the scriptures that you are a God of love, you are a God of forgiveness. Lord, that Jesus was your perfect plan for bringing us back into a right relationship with you. And Father, this morning as we consider what it really means to dig deep in your word, to see what it is that you want us to see, Lord, I pray that your spirit would illuminate your word for us, that he would guide us in all truth, that he would remind us of truth. If there are uh, people here this morning, Lord, who, who, like I said, maybe have been running a good race and, and that, that sin came in, maybe an old habit or an old way of living, and they're reminded, Lord, this morning that that's not your plan for their life. Father, that they would also be reminded that you still love them that they are not out of the game, that you've invited us into a love relationship with you, that there is grace and there is forgiveness and that we would run to the cross of Jesus to claim those things. And if there are those here this morning, Father, who have never surrendered their life to you, who have never given you control, Father, and, and never looked to you for hope and for forgiveness, Father, I pray that, that they would begin reading your word, your love letter to them, and that they would see very clearly, Father, uh, that you desire them, so much that you gave your one and only son to redeem them, to bring them back into that relationship with you. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.